All right. Well, this morning uh, we are kicking off Summer Bible Jam 2017, and we are extremely excited about that. And if you are wondering what exactly that is, hopefully today we're going to give you a good taste for what we're getting started with. Now, I've already been reminded last week that it wasn't exactly a promise. It was just something I mentioned, okay? <clears throat> but I mentioned something about shorter sermons and, and, uh, and using some time differently in the services. <clears throat> I just mentioned it, okay? It wasn't a promise. Don't be taking me to court on this, the legal people. But what I overlooked was the first week I have to explain way too much about what Summer Bible Jam is before we actually do what Summer Bible Jam is about, which is all the rest of the messages will be about that. So... I can't make you any promises on how I'm going to use the time this morning. I'll do the best I can to get through some stuff that we need to hear. But, you know, the Bible says something to us about God's word and it interacting with our lives. There are Bible verses that we have memorized, whether we can remember the address to them or not. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Right? One of the things we're going to learn this summer is, is how to take just something that small and let it be very, very rich to us. Explore every word. Break open these f- phrases that are there. Right? So if we just stared at that one passage and you heard this word proclaiming to you, be still and know that I am God. Well, the, the first challenge that would come, if this Bible verse comes near to my life, if it stays in the Bible, no problem. But if it comes near to my life, the first problem I have is being still. How many of you guys are doing pretty well in being still, being quiet, being in one place at a time, not having... 18 things going on in your mind the second you get quiet all the stuff that's been wanting to be in the front of your brain is popping in right now and that new church can be that way opening our bibles can be that way and this is not a a time frame we don't live in an age where being still and being quiet is an easy task to pull off it's as hard as it's ever been and then we're, we're not just to be still we're to know something in our stillness and so Being still is a vehicle, it's a means, it's an opportunity to have knowledge of something come and invade us in a unique way. Well, the way in which God is designed for that knowledge to come and invade us is through reading the Bible. So we are to be still and to know him as we read the Bible. Not just read the Bible, but to know him as we do that. But I also recognize that just reading the Bible is falling on some hard times. John Piper has written a wonderful book. If you're, it's kind of a lengthy read, but it's a wonderful read called Reading the Bible Supernaturally. It's his latest book. He says, over the years of my pastoral ministry, many people have complained to me that they do not have motivation to read the Bible. They have a sense of duty that they should, but the desire is not there. And maybe that's you. Right? This is how you know whether you have a desire to read the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's really hard to figure this out. Have you been reading the Bible? That's how you figure that out. 
Most of us want to read the Bible. We know we should read the Bible. We know we need to read the Bible. But we just kind of have a hard time getting around to it. And, but let's face it. All of us are always going to be guilty of we do the things that we want to do. So if we're not reading the Bible, it's because we just don't have enough of a desire to read the Bible. And one of the things that we've discovered as we've been doing our vital signs meetings, please vital signs are continuing to take place throughout the year. If you haven't had your vital signs, check up with one of the pastors, please sign up and do that. But I've been hearing this as I've done vital signs meetings and so have the other elders and pastors is reading is falling on some hard times. People just don't read the way they used to. They don't engage reading the same way that they used to. They find it harder to do that. People will perhaps find some level of reading, but not an extensive level of reading. And even Bible reading has slipped into disrepair in our lives. And so one of the things that we want to do this summer is is we want to do what we've been learning about in the tabernacle and through Pentecost. We want to actually dwell in the presence of God. We want to experience the nearness of God. We want that because God wants that. God has made clear in his word. He wants you and I to have a profound awareness of his nearness to us. He doesn't just want us to have a concept that that's supposed to be true. It's somewhere in the Bible. I've read something about that. He wants to actually be near to us. And so what Summer Bible Jam is about is it's about encountering God through the word of God, right? And I want to make a case for that today. We want to have an encounter, an experience, a nearness of God through the word of God. And God has done something. I'm just see this, some of this we're going to move through really quickly, but God has done something. He has communicated his nearness his presence, his manifest nearness to us through words, through concepts, right? Words have concepts, words have definitions to them. So when we get around a word, we're actually getting around something bigger than just a strung together bunch of letters on a page. Those words have content to them. They're concepts, they're ideas. So when you and I get around those words, we are getting around concepts and ideas and meaning that are tucked inside of these words, right? John chapter one introduces us to God. So this is how the gospel writer, John introduces us to the being of God. He says in the beginning was the word. Let's say in the beginning was God in the beginning, beginning was Yahweh. He says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. God. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. All right. Remember God revealed this to the Israelites about the, in the tabernacle. Build a tabernacle so that I may dwell among you. God, the living God, has a desire to dwell among a people. So when we fast forward from the tabernacle to John chapter 1, we get an explanation that God so loved this world that he came in the form of a man. The word became man. These concepts... These ideas about who is God and what is he like, 
took on human form and became an expression among us. God was manifest on planet earth in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you wanted to draw near to God, you would hear, where is Jesus today? And you would draw near to him. But John says, when you drew near to the manifest God in the form of a man named Jesus Christ, you were drawing near to the word of God. So this presence of God and this word of God are related. And we beheld the word's glory, full of grace and truth. Those, those are concepts, right? When I say grace, a bunch of stuff comes with it, isn't it? That word, so it's a word. Where'd you get that from, Keith? I read it. Where'd you read it? In the Bible. And so we know something about grace. If we've studied and we've extracted that out of the Bible, when I say grace, that's a rich word, isn't it? That's like a, that's, you know, that's a heavy suitcase right there. We unpack that baby. It's not like a, this isn't a duffel bag, right? This is a giant suitcase we open up and grace is so meaningful to us. It's a five letter word. It's a lot more than that, isn't it? And he manifested the word full of grace and truth. Well, that's another word right there, isn't it? But that was manifest. Interesting, we go all the way back to the glory of God manifest to Moses. Exodus 34, verse 5 says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So Moses is asked, remember his prayer request. Show me your glory. He wants to see the manifest glory of God. He wants to experience it. He wants to be near this. And God is going to honor his request. At some level, he's going to honor his request. And in Exodus 34, this is how God does it. He proclaims the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And this is God making manifest his glory for Moses, he says he proclaimed the Lord, right? Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. All right. We've read that before, but do you get the concept here? This is a man who's asking for an experience of the nearness of God in his life. God, show me. I want to encounter your glory. And when he encounters the manifest glory of God, he comes away from that writing down words. Do you notice how simple this is? He doesn't just come away and go, you know, I don't, even know, I don't even know how to explain this to you. I was on the side of a mountain. I don't, I don't have any words. Something passed by. It made me shiver. I don't know. I don't even know what happened. He walks away from this exchange and he clearly explains it to us. Using words. And when God himself manifested his life to Moses, he did so by proclaiming words to him. 
So if these words mean nothing to you, then this experience means nothing to you. If there's a proclamation to Moses that says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, merciful, merciful. I have have no idea what that is. Merciful, what's that? What, What is merciful? He has to know what merciful is, doesn't he? To get that word. Gracious, slow. You got to know what slow is. Oh, you don't get this. Slow to anger. You got to know what anger is. Or you can't tell what God is like. Abounding. What does that mean? This is meditation, by the way. What we're doing right now. These are questions we ask. Abounding. What does the word abounding really mean? And abounding in what? Steadfast love. Well, what is that word? And how do I find the full meaning of that word, right? If you guys are Bible students, you know that's, that's that unique Hebrew word, chesed. And you find it in unique places around the Old Testament. And if you've never done this, by the way, then you don't really fully understand what this verse is even saying to you. If you didn't know what I just said to you, that this is the Hebrew word chesed, and you will find it in a variety of places, and it uniquely clarifies the type of love that this God has that he expresses toward his covenant people. If you don't fill that word in with what I just said, you don't enjoy this verse. Which is one of the reasons why you won't go back and read it a second time. Which is why you would say, you know, I just don't get much out of the Bible when I read it. Well, what God put in this was words that contain the manifesting of his glory. That's what we have in this book. So we want to experience the nearness and the presence of God. But God has chosen words to be a vehicle through which he comes near to us. Right? This book is not just a book. And these words are words, but they are more than words. And they are the way in which God draws near to us and manifests himself to us. He uses words to do that. Now, I don't think anybody would not be eager to accept the invitation to experience the nearness of God. I told you that, hey, we're going to shut the service down right now. We're going to form a line right over here. And I can guarantee you, God is going to draw near to you right here this morning at this spot right here, right here. God's going to draw near to you that you're going to experience the presence of God right here. The line would go around the building to get to this spot right here, wouldn't it? But, I mean, let's face a reality. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. As our own local church set amongst other churches in the Western world of uh, the world as it is today. There is a desert, a starvation for experiencing the nearness of God in our world, in our Western world. It's not that way all over the world. It is that way in Europe. It is that way in America. And it might even be that way for some of us. And some of us might be saying, hey, you know, I've had better days in the past. I experienced more the nearness of God years ago. There was an experiential component. Well, let me tell you what happens when experiences begin to dry up. People begin to long for them because, according to God, he wants us to have them. 
And when they start to long for them, they go seek to find them. And they look where they are and they say, don't see it here. I'm going to go, I'm going to go look somewhere else for that. Right? This, this began to happen. Right? The, the manifesting of the presence of God began to dry up historically. Second century, third century AD. So we're not too far away from the New Testament writing in the first century church. We get 150 years or so away from that, and, and suddenly there just begins to be this drying up. Amongst the people of God who call themselves Christians, there was not this depth, this rich experience, which led some to pursue God differently. And I don't fault them for that. I don't fault any of us for that. If you've ever read... Uh, early Christianity, you'll come across writings by guys known as the Desert Fathers. These were guys in the second and third century who couldn't, they couldn't find God amongst the people, so they did exactly what that word says. They went out into the desert. They adopted the idea and the practice that I'm not going to live amongst the people and I'm not going to experience the things of this world. I'm going to go out into a desert where there's nothing, just me and God. And I'm going to seek to encounter God. And they did. And many of them did encounter God. And then they take their ideas and they write them down. So you get the writings of the desert fathers. And some of those are great writings and some of them are not great writings. But people read those. You know why people read those? Because they want to experience the presence of God. They want the nearness of God. And these guys went off and found the nearness of God. So let me read what they had to say. Are there, there's still desert fathers among us today. Mystics. And I don't use that word. I, I'm, not, I'm not an anti-mystic person. So I, that mystic sometimes sounds like it's a criticism. Um, there's a lot that's mystical about relating to God. It should be that way. But there would be people today who would stare out at Christianity as it seems to be being lived out and say, not seeing the presence of God here. Let, let, me, go, let me go find it. And so they have, they have had experiences and they have come back and wrote books about them. And they've been to heaven and they've wrote a book about it. And they pass it out to you and me. Or they've had some experience in a church setting somewhere. You know, we had years where if you really wanted to experience the presence of God, it was going to look like uh, people laughing uncontrollably or people barking like dogs or people playing tiny little violins, just all kinds of ideas that came up. And people wrote these things down. But let me just take the mystery out of encountering the presence of God. If I write things down, I put them into words, don't I? I had an experience. I put it into words. You read the words and you attempt to draw near to whatever it was I just wrote down. Isn't that what you're doing? If I'm a preacher who preaches these things and I say, I've been to another continent and I've experienced this and I've experienced that. And you come and you hear me present that. I present words to you and you draw near to those words in order to have an encounter with what those words said. Isn't that what you're doing? All right, here's, here's my question. When did this word become insufficient for what I just described? When did I need another book, another writing? And I'm not against teachers. I'm not against books. I mean, I recommend them all the time. But there's something that's happened. It's almost as though, you know, the Bible's become like chewing gum. 
You know, you know what your experience is like with chewing gum? You unwrap it. Its sweetest moments are the next 10 minutes. And then after that, it slowly starts to fade. And then after that, you just like chewing a mouthful of rubber bands. And some of you just stick with it anyway. Just chew it anyway. It ain't nothing coming to me. Just chewing it anyway. Chewing this piece of gum for hours. Long ago, it lost all of its flavor. And this is how people treat the Bible. It's like there's not enough here, really. God has made himself known and near through words. There are words in here. And yet somehow I, I need another set of words. And again, I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing to do. I'm just saying what it's doing to this Bible is a travesty. And it's lifted our expectations to go look for the manifest nearness of God somewhere else. So you bump into the people of God. Hey, how's your, how's your Bible reading? Well, you know. I mean, I know I should be reading. I read a little bit here. I read a little bit there. Are you, are you really interested in the nearness of God? Because God has made himself known through words. And just like Moses or anybody else, you draw near. And even today, listen, you're going to draw near to a concept. Every experience you have, it turns into concepts explained by words. That's what this is. That's what the word of God is. And it's not lacking, right? There's nothing deficient about this. James chapter 1 says this about the word. Verse 18. God says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Right? So your experience of coming alive spiritually, if you're a Christian, at some point you came alive spiritually. God lets you go behind the scenes right here to let you see. You know how that happened? It happened by the word of God. These ideas, concepts strung together. Letters that create words. God uses it to bring life forth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And listen. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Which is able to save your souls. And some of your translations may say it's able to transform your souls. All right. I'm going to explain this further in just a minute, but here's what we're doing in Summer Bible Jam. We are learning to meditate on the Word. That's what we're doing this summer. We're learning to look at a passage and, and squeeze it a little bit and see what comes dripping out of it and taste what we, comes out of this thing, right? So I just read this line right here. He brought us forth by the Word, and then he turns and says, receive the implanted word. Receive it. Receive this implanted word in your lives. All right. So if I just squeeze on that for a second question, is receiving the implanted word automatic? No. Otherwise you wouldn't have to be told to do it. You wouldn't have to be told to lend yourself, to cooperate with it, to be available, to have receptivity to it. So this, this Bible can be available and it might even be read and you might even be listening right now. That doesn't mean you're receiving what's being said. It doesn't mean when you read it, you're receiving what's being said. 
But if you will receive it, it will transform your soul. That's what it says, right? Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right, squeeze on that a little bit. All right, this is a lot of juice in this passage here. It's interesting. There is, a, there is a tone of warning in this passage. I want to hear that. Because against the backdrop of this, great things God has done by bringing us forth. And then we're told, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. So, so there's a reality for you. How about being a Christian who's got filthiness and rampant wickedness going on in your life? Yes, you can. And what's the problem? Your disconnect from the word. The remedy to a life that's full of filthiness and wickedness that can invade anybody's life living on planet earth is to receive this word. Receive it. Let it be implanted in you. Let it go deep inside of you and let it have its impact. Oh, okay, well, now let me explain that further. Well, you know, that's different. The guy who's received this word is different than the guy who just glanced at it and walked away from it. And as soon as he walked away, forgot what it was that he glanced at. And this isn't the first time the Bible warns us about these things. Hebrews chapter 4, if I've got enough time, we'll do a little bit of meditation in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 begins with this day of tragic concern. Hebrews 4 talks about the day that God brought his word to his people. And he spoke a revelation to his people. This is back in the past, back amongst our Israelite friends, not too far from the land of Exodus. But the word, this is what Hebrews starts off saying in verse chapter 4. The word that they heard did not profit them. Because it was not united with faith in those who heard it. James picks up the same exact problem. In other words, you can have God's word. You can know about God's word. You can read God's word. You can hear God's word. And according to James, not receive it. According to Hebrews, not let it be united with faith. So it comes to me, but I don't exercise faith. I don't believe it. I don't believe with my life into that verse. I stand at a distance from that. I've heard it. I've been to church today. I've even done my daily Bible reading. But I didn't bring my life into that verse. I didn't receive it. I didn't persevere in it. And James turns around and says, don't be that kind of person. Be a doer of the word. And I think a better understanding of be a doer, because be a doer sounds like just follow the instructions. It says this, you do that. It says this, you do that. I think what James is saying is be affected by the word. It comes to you a certain way. It reveals something to you. Now, if it reveals instruction, go do it. But what if it reveals something else? Because it's not always instruction that it's telling us. I think what James is saying is, Be affected by the word of God. Don't be a person who gets around the word and you're not affected by it. Be 
affected by the word of God. Right? If we read the rest of the story in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses encounters the presence of God, he was affected by the word of God. He didn't go off and do something. You know what he did in that moment? He fell to the ground and worshiped God. He, he didn't just sit like some lemon-sucking pew-sitter. The Lord, the Lord. You done now, God? Because the cafeteria is about to get crowded. You know, that, this is not his response. He was affected by the word of God made manifest to him. He was affected by it. He fell down and worshipped God. He emptied his heart of the amazement that had just come in. He expressed a sense of overwhelmingness to God. See, at some point, we go expressive with what God has done. And that expression could be all over the place. Could be tears. Could be great joy. It could be sobering reality. It it could be like opening up the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes that just said you won and your mind is racing into the future with all that that means for the good of what your life now takes on because of who God is and who he's going to be to me. Suddenly that becomes something to me. That's what it means to be a doer of the word. It's interesting this verse says something about ourselves person who looks intently at his natural face. And then the the illustration is this person stares into the word. So it's, it's kind of an interesting combination here. In this passage, as you stare into this word, this word begins to play a role sort of like a mirror. And it begins to see you. It sees you. And if you stare at it, it will take you on a guided tour of you. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You've read the Bible. I'm going to use this phrase. I'm going to use it in your outline stuff. You read this book, but if you hold it close enough to you and carefully enough to you, it will begin to read you. And it will begin to be a mirror in your life. And it will show you, you. I realize sometimes we don't want to be introduced to us. But without a question, without a question, I just sell you on this one point. I'm not going to chase this. You are your biggest problem. Can you write that down? Everybody take a pen out and write that down. (laughs) And so if this word is a mirror that shows me, me, And I'm my biggest problem. What help and grace and fix is available to me? But be careful because if you don't receive the word implanted, if you don't get around this word in a particular way, if you keep it too far away from you, it will not show you you. And you will not know you. And you will sadly pick up words and phrases without being humbled by who you are and you will be quite a church member. You will be a Pharisee. You will be a church corrector. 
you will be the person pointing out what everybody else is and isn't doing and why I can't stand another day in this church because these people just aren't holy enough and blah, 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 blah. Because you made the mistake of glancing at this from a distance and memorizing a few phrases and introducing your little phrases to everybody else without letting this book read you and impact you first. And that doesn't mean you won't bring insights or correction to others, but let me promise you this, you will do it differently once you have been read by the word. I've been a Christian for a while and I've been around a lot of Christians. Can I just tell you a lot of Christians don't let this book read them. They read the book, but they don't let it read them. They keep it, they keep it too far away. Let me, let me move this away a little bit. It's too close to me. I don't want to be that close to the Bible. Put it over there real quick. All right, so this is the, the Bible. I've got several verses there. I won't take time to unpack those. But the, when the Bible speaks of the Bible, it speaks like it accomplishes incredible things. It brings new life to us. We're born again through the living and abiding word. The, the word makes us grow in respect to our salvation. It's the word that does that. So you got born again at some point. We're celebrating baptisms this morning. At some point, you became a living creature. All right, where are you going now? Who are you going to be tomorrow, next week? Are you going to grow in respect to that? Well, you're not going to grow without the word. Because by it, we grow in respect to salvation. The scriptures... They're breathed out by God. They're for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate or competent, equipped for every good work. All right, so this is where in the Christian universe, you get some folks that part ways with how they feel about the Bible and how they treat it. You get some who've who've learned to love experiences who begin to downplay the word of God. So, like, it's more important that you have certain experiences than that you just know the Bible, know it well. Unfortunately, that's resulted in people detaching experiences and the word. And I hope I'm helping you today to see something. Those should never be detached. The word was manifest among us. The word is manifest to us. The word is transformative in our soul. This word is alive. You don't control it. You get around it, it comes off the leash, and it does all kinds of things in your life. And in a moment, it can have you weeping, it can have you rejoicing, it can have you full of hope when you were desperate just moments earlier. That's an experience, isn't it? And we should be pursuing them, and we should having them. I wrote in your outline there, the problem is not with the word, like we need something else, or it's finally lost its energy like a battery. The problem is our lack of encountering it. The problem is our distance from the word. Our distance from the word. And the only way to get nearer to that word is to meditate on the word. And so here we have this rich word available to us. And maybe you even open yours. How far away is your life from this word, though? The realities of who you are, your personality, your thoughts about who you are and where you are right now, your sense of faith, your obedience to God, the patterns of how you treat people, all the things that make you an individual human being. How far is that 
from that word. Because plenty of us don't have a problem knowing what's about that word and what's in that word. We just have a problem with it getting into us. And can I just tell you, if you don't learn to meditate on the word, you're going to always have a problem with it being in you and being active in you. So this is what Summer Bible Jam is about. It's about learning the art of meditative reading of scripture. And, And by the way, God spoke these words, and then he's going to give us instructions on what to do with these words. And he's going, to, he's going to give away something. We're just going to briefly glance at it today. God designed this word not to be casually read, but to be meditated upon. That's how it's designed. So it, it's not designed to yield its sweetness to the casual passerby. It's not designed that way. God's not designed that way, by the way. When the God stands back and he says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me casually. It's not what it says, right? With all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. And so there is a way that we approach God in an age that's super casual and over busy and doesn't have a lot of room for God's techniques. Listen, this generation of the church will continue to have a God at a distance for as long as the eye can see because it doesn't draw near to God the way God designed us to draw near to him. All right, so this is, this is not a slam because we've done this in the past. Summer Bible jams in the, in the past have been and will continue to be devoted to just getting us to read the Bible, just getting us to read the Bible. We've installed summer reading plans. We've given out assignments. Folks read their two or three chapters a day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a good thing. That's a helpful thing. How many know it's not a great thing if your Bible reading turns into a box that you check off? I did my Bible reading tomorrow. I did my Bible reading. I did my Bible reading. Okay, there's a, there's a man in James who glanced at something and walked away and can't remember anything that he encountered. Did you do anything more than Bible reading? Like the box we want to get us to check off as we move through this summer is, I encountered God. Now, whether you, it took you two chapters, three chapters, or two verses to encounter God, that's not so much the issue. Did you encounter God? And there's an element of meditating on Scripture that doesn't take in a large amount of Scripture. It focuses in on a small piece and waits and waits and waits. Listen to this thought, J.I. Packer in his book, Praying. He says, there is wisdom in both ways of traveling through the Bible. The steady march, two, three, or four chapters a day, showing you the great contours of God's grand design. We did that last year. It was very helpful. And also the slow march where you read only one or two verses. But some biblical picture settles into the core of your being. And you consciously nestle into your own place in the palm of God's hand. This slow meditative reading of a small text again and again may lead to an experience like being in a dark room when suddenly someone releases the blinds. The blinds fly up, the light rushes in, and you see all sorts of things that you didn't see before. 
How many of you guys know what that's talking about? Listen, that's not every moment I sit down and read the Bible. But I want it to be more and more the moments when I read the Bible. But I've had plenty, plenty of times when suddenly reading a verse, reading a passage for the third or the eighth or the tenth time that week, suddenly the blinds go up and this becomes real and it just invades my life. And it speaks to me about me and about God and what he's doing right now, who he is to me. Faith gets awakened, conviction might come, insights come, the shade flies up and the light comes in. This is what meditation on the Bible does for us, right? Psalm 119 verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will meditate and fix my eyes. It is a staring contest with the word of God. I'm staring at you, and I notice you're staring back at me. And you begin to have a conversation with that passage, and it begins to have a conversation with you. Right? This, this is not a casual brush. This is not, oh, let me just get my Bible reading today. How many chapters? Oh, I'm done. Two chapters. I'm done. Yeah, I've been doing my Bible reading. This is not that. That kind of Bible reading is helpful, and you need it. Otherwise, by the way, as I said earlier, You've never seen that word has said in more than one place because you don't read enough of the Bible to see it. (laughs) But when you drill down into that word has said and you sit on it and you begin to ponder, where else have I seen that? Where else has God said this? Where else is God's loving kindness being spoken of? Well, I know that because I've read lots of pieces of the Bible. I go back and find that piece and I pull it alongside this piece and I let these two speak to me in a meditative way. The Bible begins to come alive to us. Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Does this sound like James over again? You might receive the word implanted and be careful to have it affect you. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Listen, I could form a line over here. How many want prosperity and success? Who? yeah, sign me up. What do, you, what do you gotta do for that? Just come up here and get prayed for? It? No. You have to meditate on the word of God because You're not going to see anything to respond to or be affected by something that you haven't meditated on. You cannot casually read the Bible and have this kind of an experience. And I don't care how much we want prosperity and success. Prosperity and success is on the other side of meditation and response. That's where it is. From Poitras Another recent book, Reading the Word of God in the Presence of God. He says, people in the Western world have become so busy, so surrounded by a barrage of information that most of them no longer memorize passages or books of the Bible, and they do not know how to slow down to meditate. How many of you guys know as you're listening to me right now, you are panicking because you don't know how to drive your vehicle slow enough to do this? There's no easy solution for this deficiency. People must come to grips with what is important in God's eyes and reorder their time and priorities accordingly. 
meditation. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to take focus, which none of us do focus very well. And I've been feeling led that this is where we needed to be this summer for quite some time. been sharing with the other pastors for quite some time. And we have been praying for this season for quite some time. And I appreciate the way they have provoked me to faith in this because I have described this summer this way. Guys, I feel like we're about to try and roll a ball up Mount Everest. Because as simple as this sounds... The grade uh, going against the flow of busy lives absorbed in too many things as a normal pattern of life, it feels weird when you don't have enough to do anymore. I just feel like my brain should always be running at 85 miles an hour, always. And when it slows down, it kind of makes me feel weird. I'm going on vacation this week. Matter of fact, my whole family's already uh, on the beach, and I, I stayed back because this, I, I wanted to make sure and introduce this to us for the summer. Because this is critically important. If you have a future in God, if you're going to be used for the glory of God, this church is going to be what God's called us to be. It will not be that without learning to meditate on the scriptures. Because just flat simply, I don't know, you know, however it is that you're reading the Bible, and I'm glad we're reading the Bible somehow. This is what the Bible is designed for. It's designed for you to squeeze the meaning out of it. And to wait until falls in your mouth and satisfies your soul. And that doesn't happen in a glance. It doesn't happen in a modern information age style of interacting with information. This is analog. This is slow. This ain't digital. This is waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and tell other things to wait outside the room. Listen, I don't, I don't ever get quiet without, you know, I've got, a, I've got an app on my phone that is a to-do list. It helps me remember things that I'm supposed to do. But the thing's a demon, man. If I get quiet, I'm not looking at my phone, but that app comes up in the back of my brain and says, you didn't write this down. You need to remember to do this. You didn't return that person's email. That person's whatever. The second I get quiet, my life gets noisy. But yet I've got to learn to be quiet. I've got to learn to meditate. So here's, here's what we're doing this summer. You guys got this on, the, on your way in this morning? Uh, summer Bible Jam Field Manual. This is a reduced version of things that we just wanted to make this simple for you to crawl into your prayer time, crawl into your Bible reading exchanges, crawl in with small pieces of scripture and have deep encounters with God. This is going to help you to do that. Right? So it's going to go through three little pieces. Right, there's a section in here called seeing. That's where we read a passage. So there's a way to see a passage. There's a way to see what's there. There's questions to ask of that passage. So this little book's going to help you do that. And once we've seen and we've observed what's there, and it may take several readings for us to do that. We may have to do a little bit of homework. We have to do that early in the week and come back to this other part later in the week. Later, we're not just going to be satisfied with seeing. We're going to savor what's in that. And this is where you let the passage read you. You can't do that at a distance. You may have read the Bible this week. You may be able to explain what that passage says. You're not home yet. 
Because you need to figure out what does that passage mean to you right now? How does it touch your life right now? How is it informing you? What response does it bring forth from your life? Does it reduce you to tears? Does it make you uncomfortable that you've been blowing God off in this category and this thing and that thing over there don't matter to you anymore? You got no purity about you? Well, you won't discover that at a distance. You're going to have to bring your life up close to the passage and let it read you. And that's what we do in savoring. Now, once we've seen and we have savored, now we encounter. We respond to that. We might fall on our feet. We may celebrate forgiveness. We might go out and tell somebody something that's just risen up in our heart. We had an encounter with God that becomes a doing of the word. That's what we're after. So we're going to learn these three elements here. And here's what your assignment is going to be this week. All right, you got a junior version. Put this in your pocket, take it with you everywhere you go, kind of a thing here. And then you've got a longer version of this, much more detail in this thing called Resources for Drawing Near. It's, it's, a, it's eight pages of information, teaching, helps in meditation. It's a longer version of this. It's going to help you learn how to ask questions of a text, how to extract the meaning that's there, how to put your life alongside this. All right, so you got eight pages here, eight pages. Is that intimidating? Eight pages? All right, but you got all week to work your way through these eight pages. So here's what this is for. This is to equip you for the rest of Summer Bible Jam. All right, this is the information that's going to help you to actually in the rest of Summer Bible Jam every week to wait on God, to encounter God, to experience the goodness of his word. This will teach you how to meditate. It's extracted from some great resources. If you'd like to read some other stuff, there's some highlighted material in here that you can go read further on. But this is available in the, on the way out there. Uh, you can grab a copy of this. And please do. Uh, all this stuff is available online. So if somehow you've forgotten it, it doesn't matter. Just go to your phone. Go to Lakeview Christian Center. Click on Summer Bible Jam 2017. All this stuff will come up. You can read it all wherever you are. You can have access to it all wherever you are. And for that, I want to severely thank the other guys on the pastoral team who have this week and last week and leading up to this taken quite a bit of time to help me in researching, formatting, getting material into a bite-sized piece, then turning into electronic versions. Poor Eric had to learn a, a software program this week just to make some of this stuff available and accessible to you so that you can easily get, get your hands on this stuff because this, this is an incredibly important summer as far as we're concerned. Because if, if you never learn to do this, let me tell you what you're going to say next year when you come back for your vital signs appointment. You're going to tell another sad story about how you, you know, I'd like to be reading the Bible, but it's just not. Can I tell you why you don't read the Bible? Because you don't experience anything when you read the Bible. You experience more when you read the Bleacher Report. And it comments and it has the same bad attitude about LeBron as you got. That's right. Yeah. Did you see that about LeBron last night? Yeah, right here. I'm affected. I'm angry right alongside with this guy. You'll go back and read Bleacher Report tomorrow. Or you'll watch Fox News. Because last night on Fox News, somebody said, Bleh! and I felt like, Bleh! too. I'm going to tune in tomorrow to see what else they say. And you pick the Bible up and it's like,
who the heck wants to go back and do that again? I'd rather read Preacher Report or watch Fox News. And that's what we're doing, by the way. Because we don't know how to read the Bible the way it's designed to be read. To bring God near to us. Listen, I don't care whether you're charismatic, Pentecostal, I hope you're all those things. The God of the universe has chosen to come near to us through words. But if you're, if you're thinking, well, I read the Bible. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm talking words that make you fall on your face words. You ever fall on your face? No, because you didn't encounter the words. You just read the words. And let me tell you, Moses had no problem trying to get underneath the dust. Nobody had to instruct him to do that. He didn't need to go to a class. Nobody had to say, hey, Moses, when the presence of God passes by you, I don't know, dig a hole. Get underneath something, dude. It's going to freak you out. It's going to be amazing. Okay, if you say so. No, no. He experienced the presence of God. The word became flesh and dwelled. The word did. The word is manifest to us. The Spirit of God has an assignment in our lives to lead us into the truth. Please, you know, don't do this to the Bible. Don't become some charismatic Pentecostal who somehow doesn't need their Bible. I mean, you can chase little violins all you want and barking noises all you want. I don't see that in the Bible. I see a lot of things in the Bible that I have not experienced. I might need to look a little deeper and hang around this a little more. Now, listen, everybody just now who said, yeah, that's right. Tell those crazy charismatics out there something. Listen, your lack of experience is a bad advertisement for the Bible. Nobody wants to read your Bible either. The cuckoo on TV who's standing up and acting like all kinds of crazy manifestations. I don't want to read that guy's Bible. He's not getting that from the Bible. But I don't want to read your Bible either. So together and never known what it was to fall on your face, never had tears stream down your face, never had excitement come screaming out of you, don't know how to sing along with a song. Can I just tell you, I don't know what you're doing with the Bible, but you're not drawing near to it. And Christianity can't survive with people like that because it's not how God designed this thing. I'm taking too long, haven't I? All right, can I just give you a taste here? Can I give you a taste? We're going to taste medita- meditation just for a second. I can't do anything for a second, but I'll try. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Look at this in your outline there. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So let's suppose you sat down with that, and you busted out your field manual. You opened it up, and you went to the seeing section, You started asking some questions. The first thing you would do is you would pray for God's help. You would not think enough of your own abilities to think you can get into this word and have it get into you. You would know you can't. So you'd pray something like Psalm 119. Open my eyes 
that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, let me see this stuff that's here. And then you might see the passage as the passage was given to us, right? So you might know what you're reading there. What kind of genre is this? Well, it's a letter. You're going to learn about that this summer. What does that mean? It's a letter. What, when was it written and to whom? Well, it, it's written on the other side of Pentecost. These are New Testament Christians with the indwelling spirit of God. Now that means something. And you need to know it means something because when this verse tell, turns around and tells people things, don't treat these people like they're Old Testament saints who don't know anything of the indwelling presence of God. Oh, yes, they do. Because they're one of us. They're on this side of Pentecost being told these things and introduced to this in the Word. So kind of glance at this. Uh, I'm going to look at the original content and intent of the writer. Why is this being written? Well, I'm going to have to back off and read all of Hebrews chapter 4. What else is here? Well, Hebrews chapter 4 starts with that warning I told you about. Don't be like those who heard. But the word that they heard did not profit them because what they heard was not united in faith. And then this advertisement comes because there's no way they could have received it. Because if you receive the word implanted, it's living and it's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's going to travel deep inside of you. Right, so now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, I'm going to milk this thing. I'm going to grab these words. I'm going, to, I'm going to ponder every piece of it. I could spend, and I did. I spent hours this week staring at that verse. And then I had to teach other things and I can't get to share it with you. But just stare into this for a second, right? This is what savoring does. Savoring, you know, seeing helps you encounter the ingredients, right? You know, you're about, to, you're about to eat something, you read the label. All the ingredients are there, you know? All right, that's seeing. That's not tasting. That's seeing. What we want to do now is we want to taste it. We want to take this verse and we're going to put it in our mouths. And I want to taste it. I want to be able to go, ah, mm, nutmeg brown sugar, right? I want to, I want to take it apart and taste what makes this verse taste this way. Well, there are words in it. There's ingredients, right? So I look at these. I said, the word of God is something. The Bible says the word of God is something. I don't know what you say it is. And I don't know what my experience says it is. Sometimes my experience says the word of God is boring, irrelevant, Hard to understand, only for the professionals, right? It's, I, I mean, it could say all those things to me. But when I bring myself near to that saying, it begins to say something that confronts my ideas. And suddenly the Bible's not saying the word of God is boring. The word of God is living and it's active and it goes deep into our life. Okay, I need to be corrected about that. I need to get rid of my bad ideas. I don't read the Bible because I don't get anything out of it. I don't get anything out of the Bible. Uh, all right, you need to get around this and sit in this verse until you can't stand yourself saying that. Get around this verse long enough to where it messes with you. It's living and it's active. These are the great words. It's energetic. It's alive. This thing is alive. How do you, do you treat the Bible like it's alive? Right, let me tell you the difference between treating the Bible like it's alive. Right, your son comes in, throws a rubber snake on the sofa next to you. Two seconds worth of, ah, and then that's a rubber snake. And then you walk in and out of that room over and over again. You don't even pay attention to the thing anymore. What if a real snake crawled in your house? 
And the last time you saw it, it slithered under the sofa. You think you just kind of like walk, go about the rest of the day, like just walking through the room, carrying on? No, no, you'd be obsessed now, wouldn't you? Because there's something about living things, right? You just let a living creature in your house. Right? Let an owl in your house. It's different than a painting of an owl, isn't it? A painting of an owl is just a dead thing on the wall, right? This thing is alive. If you, you know, you open this, you ought to just practice this when you go home. Put this down on a table and kind of open it up and, and just move away from it for a second. Just with the awareness that this, thing, this thing's alive. It's going to do what it's going to do. And if you anticipate that, you might actually let it do something in you that's living and active rather than treating it like it's dead. Where did I get that idea from? Just staring at this verse for a little while. See what these words mean? It's sharp. It's piercing. It's invasive. It touches soul and spirit and the deep thoughts and intentions of our lives. It goes into the heart. This troubled space inside of us. It can discern the heart. You know, I read the Bible about the heart, right? So this is what I would do in meditating. I would want to know something. What else does the Bible say about the inside of me? What else does the Bible say about the heart of man? I just pulled these verses up and stuck them on there for you to read. Proverbs 27, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects man. And Jeremiah 17 informs me about something that I wouldn't know without the word. It says the heart is deceitful above all things. Did you know that about your heart? That your own heart is a trickster. It lies to you. It does performances. It fakes you out, makes you think one thing, and it does something else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Well, how does he search the heart? With this living word. And when I let it off its leash, it goes deep. It travels into my soul. It judges the thoughts and the intentions. It reads me and it turns around and tells me, Keith, do you know why you just did that? Let me tell you why you just did that. I've got seasons in my life where God just decided to read me more than I was reading the Bible. I read a little bit in the Bible and God would turn back and read me. And I got to where I was like, God, leave me alone. I don't want to know any more about me. I used to think I was an all right guy. I mean, I am terrible because God exposed my motives. And suddenly all these things I was doing, they got revealed. They were nice things, but they got revealed as to why I was doing them. That was painful, but it was so helpful. I need to be read like that. One last thought. No creature is hidden, but are naked and exposed. How many guys are aware of this? Tragically. You spend a lot of your life hiding. Hiding from people hiding from their perceptions, hiding from the people that are really near and dear to you, hiding from yourself, hiding shame, hiding aspects about yourself that you don't know how people would treat and would respond to if that was fully known. So here's a strange invitation because this is an invitation. This isn't, a, this isn't a warning, like stay the heck away from the Bible. The word of God's living and active. Well, you let that thing out in your house. Who knows what the heck's going to happen? This is not that kind of a verse. This is an invitation to let the word be implanted to you. But this invitation says you're not going to be able to hide from it. 
It's going to expose you like a naked person. And we spend all this time hiding. But do you remember there was something that happened in the Garden of Eden? Described Adam and Eve in the beginning. That they were naked in the presence of God and they were what? Unashamed. Now you understand what God has been doing throughout the Bible is restoring that which he created. So redemptively, the word of God is able to expose us before God so that finally, before somebody, I can be honest about who I am and who I'm not and be unashamed. See, you've been hiding from the word of God. Don't do that. When God draws near to you by the word, it will, it will strip you down naked. You will be exposed. If you let it read you, it's going to remove all your clothing. Every mark on you is going to be observable. But there's nothing like being fully accepted by God when you are fully naked before him. Nothing like it. And you and I need this. All right. I'm out of time. But this is what will happen when I don't try to do two things in the future. We will just, we'll just meditate on a verse together every week. We're going to go through the various genres. So you'll learn how to meditate on a historical narrative. You'll learn how to meditate on a psalm, on a proverb, a wisdom literature, on a gospel, on a letter. You're going to learn how to meditate on different forms in the Bible. And, but yet then we're going to move from seeing to savoring to encountering. So right now would be encountering time if it wasn't 1158. But in your Bible reading, right now would need to be encountering time. It would need to be the moment where you don't ignore what you just experienced. You respond to it. And here's how I want us to respond today. Eric, you can just come. We're going to close with just an element of prayer. There's two quotes at the end. I'm not going to go through them, but please read them. At the end of your notes, let them prime your pump. But at the end of, and we do have a Charles Spurgeon quote. Thank you very much. Uh, At the end of Charles Spurgeon's long quote there, let me just read the last few lines. Because this this is how I want you to respond right now. And this is how we can respond all the time when we read the Bible. You can turn what you just encountered into prayer. Turn it into prayer. First thing you can do, first priority. Turn what you just encountered into prayer. Put it into words. Respond to God with what you just heard. Now, listen, I know this. You know, we have altar ministry times. People respond to things. But I know this. And you know this. You might come many Sundays and just listen. That's all you do is listen. And then when I say amen and Eric plays a few notes and we dismiss, just pick your life up and go on. I mean, you know, you don't even remember what the message was about in a few days. Be warned, you are like the man who looks at himself in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he encountered. But if you'll do this, if you'll read the word of God, and you, first thing you do, turn it into prayer. You'll be amazed how that begins to go deeper into you. This is what Spurgeon says. He says, I do not think there is anything in the scriptures which we cannot pray over. If we learn the devices of the devil, let us pray against them. If we learn the depravity of mankind... Let us pray God's Holy Spirit to create men's hearts anew. Everything from the first of Genesis to the end of Revelation, when we truly know it, furnishes us with fresh arguments for drawing near to God. 
revealed truths of God are as a church bell, summoning us to come into the presence of the Lord and bow the knee before him. As you hear a sermon, turn it into prayer. Now we're going to spend all summer doing some of that. You're going to pray with each other sometimes. And there's going to be special times of ministry sometimes. But here's what I want us to do this morning. I just want everybody to get quiet. I want you personally to have a conversation with God about what you just heard. Odds are you heard something different than that person heard or that person heard. You heard what God needed you to hear this morning. That's why I preach for an hour because I know there's only 10 minutes inside of you. I don't know which 10 minutes it is. I just give you a bunch of 10 minutes. So you got a variety to choose from. But right now, don't go silent on God. Everybody in here, just bow your head for a moment. Just Everybody bow your head. Get quiet. And listen. Encounter. Respond. put that psalm verse up there for me you did already no psalm 119 can you can you look at this for a moment and just squeeze it with me and let it drip down into your soul this is what i want us to pray for us this summer so just consider this church and who god's called us to be and the people you're walking with this is our plea incline my heart Lord, to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Can you just own that with me for a moment? God, this is what we're praying. God, this is what we've been asking as a team of pastors and elders, Lord, for us this summer. This is why we've set this time aside, not just a week's message, but Lord, several weeks. But God, this is what we need your help in. God, help us. Meet with us. Make it different, Lord, for us. Incline our hearts, Lord. Let them be leaning toward you. God, give my first step its joy and impression. 
God, help me respond to you by being inclined to you. God, help me leave here today with a sense that, Lord, I want your nearness through your word. So, God, we are asking that you would incline our hearts to your word, not to something else, some other selfish gain, something crowding in the moment, some immediate pleasure, some personal dimension that just displaces you over and over again. God, incline our hearts to you and your word. God, turn our eyes from worthless things. Lord, let them not replace eternal things. God, let not the temporary noise that comes out of our devices be what we're devoted to. God, turn our eyes. God, this is how we start our Bible reading. This is how we begin this venture, crying out to you. Lord, asking you to do what we need you to do. Lord, you alone can incline my heart. I don't even know my own heart. But you, Lord, can incline my heart. You can turn my eyes from worthless things. And Lord, let this be a summer where we give our lives to your ways. Teach us this summer, Lord. Give us to this task, to learning what it is to read the Bible and to be read by the Bible and to encounter your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go have an adventure.